Hi, I'm Cameron, and I'm a house husband. What does that mean? I don't really know. This show is all about my life and figuring out how I can be a better husband and father. Stick around if you want to share my crazy adventure. This is the House Husband Podcast, Episode 8, Traveling with a Toddler. Oh, traveling with a toddler. This will be fun. Hey, everybody. It's been a long time. Uh, I won't go into a lot of the details, but had to do some adjusting, uh, thinking about life and things and what I wanted this project to be. So we're back. Thank you for joining us. Um, let's jump right in. I have a toddler now. When last we spoke, I did not, but I now have a toddler. And unfortunately, I recently had to travel to my home state. Uh, It was unplanned. It was last minute because sadly my brother passed away. Uh, My little brother. It was uh, really hard to hear that news and and deal with, but we're, uh, we're hanging in there. Everybody's doing okay. So... Um, but yeah, this, this trip was not fun. Uh, I knew that it would be difficult right away because traveling with a toddler, like I can't go to the store easily taking him halfway across the country. Definitely not easy. So I knew it was going to be hard, but I was not prepared for what actually happened. Let me tell you about the worst trip I have ever taken. First off, my wife had to work in Austin on Thursday. The funeral and everything is on Friday uh, and Saturday. So she had to be in Austin. There was no way around it on Thursday. That meant that we had to take a late flight out of San Antonio. Um, Our flight was scheduled for about 9.05 p.m. My son goes to sleep about 7 p.m. In order to arrive at the airport, the recommended two hours... Before our flight, yada, yada, yada. We had to leave our house about 6.30 p.m. So we get my son all ready for bed, brush his teeth, put on a nighttime diaper, put his pajamas on. And then instead of putting him in the crib to sleep, we strapped him in the car seat and headed to the airport. We arrived and found parking, which wasn't that bad, thank goodness. Once parked, we had to remove the child from the car seat, then remove the car seat from the car in order to take it with us. Carrying a car seat, three carry-on bags, a large checked bag, and a 30-pound toddler through two parking garages and then up to a terminal is not easy. I'm sure we looked ridiculous. Luckily, we were able to get the get rid of the largest bag and the car seat once we reached the ticket counter. Security went uneventfully, and we made it to the gate shortly after 7 p.m. I mentioned that my son goes to sleep normally around this time. That's in a dark room with a loud white noise machine running. In a bright, busy airport, there was no sleeping. All he wanted to do was run around and explore. Of course, during a global pandemic, the last thing I want him to do is run around touching common surfaces in an international airport. So I keep looking at the screen that shows the departure time of our flight. Um, I should add that we were loading... That when we were loading everything into the car, my phone alerted me that the flight had been delayed about 20 minutes. It didn't really affect when we needed to leave, so I just 
filed it away and kept going. Sadly, this first message was kind of an omen of things to come. Uh, when we arrived and found some seats at the gate that the flight was supposed to be uh, leaving from, I looked at the monitor and the flight had actually gone back to leaving on time. It was in that on-time status, which made me pretty happy. As we sat and tried to entertain a sleepy toddler, a message came through my phone, changing the departure time to 9.35. That was an awesome, but we would survive a 30-minute delay. I should stop here and mention that we are flying to Las Vegas, Nevada. I didn't need to go to Las Vegas. I needed to go to St. George, Utah, which, if anybody's familiar with the area, is about a two-hour drive away. Uh, but St. George doesn't have a real big airport, and direct flights are pretty much non-existent. And I didn't want to have to do a layover with my son, or you know, rushing through an airport or being stuck in an airport for hours and hours. So we're flying into Vegas because they have a direct flight. Then we're going to rent a car and drive to St. George. This kept pinging in the back of my brain. Remember, you have to drive two hours after this. Kept getting that uh, that little ping in the back of my head. 9.30 p.m. arrives, and we haven't boarded. No way we're making the 9.35 departure. Departure now gets moved to 10 p.m. Now I'm starting to worry. My son is a mess. He is tired and grumpy, but because of where we are, he can't fall asleep. It's just not going to happen. A guy in a ground crew uniform comes out of a gate um, across from our the one our flight's supposed to be going from and starts talking to people working at the gate desk. He then picks up the intercom and tells the assembled passengers that they are having to find a different plane because the plane we were supposed to be using has been hit by a bird uh, as it was landing at the San Antonio airport. But he said not to worry, there was a plane at this gate that was in perfect working condition. He just had to get dispatched to approve it, and we were on our way. 10 p.m. arrives. We don't have a plane yet. The ground crew guy comes back and announces that even though the plane is in working order, it is supposed to be rotated out for scheduled maintenance, and dispatch doesn't want to use it. They had another plane at this airport, but it had been put to bed for the night, as he kind of explained, clear across the airport. Now someone had to make a decision. Do we get that plane up and running? Do we delay the maintenance on the plane already here? Or do we wait while they clean and inspect the plane that was hit by the bird? The thing that annoys me at this point is that no one was willing to make that call. It took until 10.30 for someone to make a decision. They, I guess, sat around playing the pros and cons game for 30 minutes. They finally decided to use the plane that had been put to bed for the night. Now that the decision had been made, the plane had to be moved. And that was going to take some time. We were already an hour and a half behind schedule. What complicates matters is that there were some through passengers already sitting on the plane that had been hit by the bird. They now had to unload those people get all of their carry-on luggage off, and then move the plane that was in the way of the one that was trying to come. So we were not in great shape. And the people that had to be unloaded, they were not happy and were very vocal in expressing their opinions of uh, the airline and the crew in general. We're uh, after 11 o'clock by now, gate 
there's finally a plane at the gate. Crew boards the plane. The ground crew guy comes back and begins the process of boarding the plane. This includes boarding individuals with a pre-boarding voucher. From what I understand, most of the time, these are people that have a major reason for needing extra time and assistance getting onto the plane. In our case, it was three people in wheelchairs. Well, as soon as the guy calls for the pre-board individuals, the group that had been unloaded from the plane exploded. I get that we're flying on an airline that doesn't do seat assignments, but honestly, how terrible do you have to be to pitch a fit that a person in a wheelchair got to board the plane before you, all because the ground crew guy had promised that you would get on the plane first? And honestly, no matter which seat you pick, they're all pretty much equally bad. It's an airplane. I don't know. It's an airplane. All the seats are terrible. Anyway, those people finally get on the plane. Things calm down a little bit. Our turn to board finally comes. We snag a row of seats that isn't near too many people and kind of hunker down. Flynn, my son, was enthralled with the plane. Everything. Wanted to play with anything that he could get his fingers on. Pushing buttons, opening the window shades, lowering tray tables. Problem is, he really needed to be sleeping, not playing. Three hours later. Oh my gosh, that flight was so long. Flynn isn't sleeping. We have tried everything we can think of. No dice. Kid just won't sleep. Best we can hope for now is not screaming. Neither my wife or I have been able to rest either. We finally land and head for baggage claim. Once again, loaded down with all of our stuff, car seat, check bag, three carry-ons, and a 30-pound toddler, we head for the rental car counter. Like many airports nowadays, you have to take a shuttle to the rental center, which is near the airport, but not actually in the airport. That's a fun process with, uh, you know, all the bags and the baby, and it's the middle of the night. And there's a surprising amount of people heading to the, the rental car center. And we end up having to wait for a shuttle for about 10 minutes, because the first one that was there when we arrived was full. They had too many people. Uh, we finally get to the rental car center at midnight local time. Um, we're going to get weird with some time zones here. Uh, so I'll try to be as clear as possible. It is 12 o'clock local time. And my hopes of a quick check-in and hitting the road totally evaporate. There's a huge line at our counter. I tried checking in with my phone, but their system was apparently down. So I park the luggage and Emily and Flynn stay with it while I get in line. The progress of this line is agonizingly slow. Several people even decided it wasn't worth waiting and just left. I don't know if like they canceled their reservation or whatever and just took the loss, but yeah, they, they weren't even willing to wait. Uh, still, even with those people leaving, there were plenty of people in front of me. I start to worry, too, as I see people that have finished at the counter begin returning to the counter, complaining of waiting down at the lot and no cars arriving. I didn't really have a choice except to wait and hope that my rental would be different and not 
be delayed in any way. An hour later, I'm finally at the front of the line. The person behind the counter uh, easily finds my reservation, but because it is a one-way rental, I had to drive from Vegas uh, to Utah, and I was not returning to Vegas. Uh, It takes a minute. They have to talk on the radio, locate a vehicle that they're willing to send on a one-way trip. Um, I get it. Not all rental uh, places even do one-way trips, so I was grateful that there was an option. A car is located, and with paperwork in hand, I head down to the lot. Because the lot is outside, um, and it's hot in Vegas even at night this time of year, I told Emily to wait inside until I had a car and keys in my hand. I walk out to the lot. No car. My assigned space is empty. I look around, and there's about a dozen other people waiting as well, and I only spot one attendant slowly bringing cars into our portion of the lot. I can see where the cars are being stored, um, but there's only one guy moving a car from that lot into where we're at. So I walk over to where the cars are being prepped, and I think I see the problem. There's a dozen or so cars being lined up to be washed. I'm guessing that these are the cars for all the people waiting with me in this lot. It is an automatic washer. You just kind of load the car and drive it in and and then pulls it through and and washes it. But someone has to be in the car to do that. And there's only one guy working on it, the same guy that's bringing us the cars. So he gets a car washed, drops it off to the person waiting, then has to hike like a quarter mile back to where the next car is waiting to be washed. If anybody had been thinking about it, he would have parked the line of cars needing to be washed right next to where we were waiting to pick up the cars so that he didn't have to walk as far, and it probably would have cut down the time dramatically. Anyway, the last thing I cared about right now was my car being a little dirty on the outside. It's 1.30 a.m. local time. That's 3 a.m. back home. My son hasn't slept since his afternoon nap, which was now 15 plus hours ago. I wasn't waiting for them to wash my car. So after the attendant dropped off his next car, I flagged him down and told him, my car doesn't need to be washed. Don't do it. Just skip that part. He takes the details of the car that I've been assigned and runs off into the the staging area. A couple minutes later, and there's a car in front of me. Yes, finally. I had to sign some kind of waiver, though, saying that I took the car before they could wash it, but I didn't care. I dashed into the building to grab the big suitcase and the car seat. I told my wife that we had a car, and I would be back once I had installed the car seat. I opened the trunk, tossed the big suitcase in. Next, I opened the back door to install the car seat and I was hit with a heavy scent of cigarette smoke. Not fresh smoke smell, like it wasn't that the attendant, you know, had lit up a cigarette as he was driving my car over. No, this was somebody had smoked in the car, and then they had tried to clean it and mask the smell. So it wasn't overpowering after a few minutes, but it it wasn't my ideal situation. But You know, driving an old ashtray versus waiting for them to figure out another car. I'll take the ashtray at 1.30 in the morning. So I just needed to get on the road. We get everyone and everything loaded in the car and hit the road. (sighs) 
the minute I get on the interstate, I know that my troubles aren't over with this car. There's some sort of mechanical problem. At speeds over 55 miles an hour, there's a pretty substantial shake in the steering wheel. It's not so bad that I can't control the vehicle, but I don't dare take my hand off the wheel for more than a second or two. It smoothed out a little if I got above 80, but that was technically faster than I was legally supposed to be driving, so I can't sustain that for the two-hour drive. It's only a two-hour drive from Vegas to St. George, but there's another problem. You switch time zones at the border. So it ends up being three hours on a clock. Two hours of travel time, but three hours of clock time. Thank you, time zones. We're staying at Emily's aunt's house, who lives outside of the city a a good ways. So it's 5 a.m. local time when we pull into her driveway. That's 6 a.m. back home. Flynn got a little sleep on the drive, but for a kid that normally sleeps 12 hours every night, that's not going to cut it. I was dreading the next day. We didn't even unload the car all the way. We just brought the essential luggage in, and I collapsed on the bed. I didn't even undress or pull the covers down. I'm literally in my full set of clothes that I wore all day, onto the plane, off of the plane, into the smoky car, I, I, I don't care. I was literally, I could not have done another thing. I didn't have a drop of energy left. I wish I could say that this was the end of our hardship and that things got better from there, but it was only the beginning. Join me next week for part two of this story. I promise it's, it's a doozy. So thanks again for coming back to the house husband podcast. My name's Cameron. Hang in there.